Hi, church. I'll try and be a little more formal. Good morning, brothers and sisters. All right. So what I'm going to be talking about today is uh, possibly going to be very basic to many of you. Um, if that is so, then please pardon me. Um, what I'm going to be talking about today is uh, essentially what has come out as a result of the struggles that I have had with reading the Bible and with, especially with my understanding of the Old Testament. So thanks, Danny, for reading uh, what you read. Um, that will be one of the portions that we would look at, but uh, we will look at a few portions in several places as well. So in the Bible, we have 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and, and like, like me, I guess most of you would have grown up in, uh, in, in believing homes, you would have gone to Sunday school, and as I went through Sunday school and as I grew up, for me, the Old Testament, over a period of time, was a nice collection of short stories, right? You, had, you pick up a lot of short stories along the way. And Old Testament is full of nice, interesting stories. In fact, Old Testament has better stories than even the New Testament, really memorable ones. And as we study these stories, we pick up these, like I said, these little moral principles along the way and try to apply it in our lives. Nothing wrong with it. But oftentimes... As we go along, it almost remains just there. And then we turn our focus into the New Testament, and then uh, the Old Testament with all its complexities kind of remain there, right? And, um, and you know, the church systems that I was a part of never really helped in this matter as well. Um, the reason why I say that is, in all the churches that I, that, 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 that I was a part of, uh, every Sunday we would have a message, and most of these messages were like ad hoc message. Every Sunday, you would have an ad hoc message. Um, I, I, I still remember some of the, those days, what is to be known as the cottage meetings that used to happen. You would again have an ad hoc message. There was never really a continuous program uh, in our churches. Unlike, unlike that happens here, right? So here, for example, we have, uh, we have Ribijan speaking from Hebrews on a regular basis. We have Georgian who are speaking from Philippians, and then we have Raven on Ecclesiastes, Jobin speaks from Corinthians, and in our cell groups as well, we have a systematic program in place, so we kind of go through a systematic study. But this was not uh, part of uh, you know, what I went through. And, and the other thing which added to the complexity is how the Old Testament is arranged in our Bibles. So the Old Testament is not arranged in a chronological manner in the Bible, right? You have... You have um, you have the books of Moses coming, then you have some history coming, you have the minor prophets, the major prophets, you have in between some poetical books, all adds to the complexity. And for a simple brain like me, it just, I could never grasp it. And over a period of time, you know, the focus was always on the New Testament, because New Testament was relatively easier to understand. Um, but then... Um, the Old Testament really has its own significance. And you know, when I was working uh, sometime back, I used, to, I used to be in uh, advertising a couple of years ago. And then when we used to do these ad films, we used to have these writers and producers who would sit together and they would create a script. And then when you go for a shoot, they would shoot different parts of the film in various locations. And then finally on an editing table is where 
all of this comes together. The various pieces that are shot in different places kind of is all pieced together on the editing table. You put the music, you put the supers, you put the special effects and the voiceover, and there you have that one story. This one story I never really got of the Old Testament until much later. So today, so today we will just look at uh, what the Old Testament is all about, the way I have understood it. Some of you might have a better understanding, but I really hope that this is helpful for you as much as it was for me. So first we will look into the New Testament and we will look at what Jesus himself spoke about in, of the Old Testament, okay? So let's look at John. Let's look at John chapter 5. Now if you come to John chapter 5, come to verse uh, 37. And, and, and here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and to the scribes, and he says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. And verse 39 says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And you refuse to come to me to have life. Now those days there, were no new, there was no New Testament. It was only the Old Testament. And Jesus is telling the scribes and the Pharisees, you study the scriptures, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have the answer to eternal life and yet you reject me. So these guys kind of knew all of the Old Testament. They were, they, they were experts in the Old Testament. These are people who, who practiced the law, who enforced the law, who taught the law. And yet, they missed the point that the entire Old Testament was actually pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I was recently, we sometimes, we sometimes put uh, these Pharisees down. But I was reading the other day that some of these Pharisees were actually so good with the Old Testament. You know, these are people who would actually mug up the entire Old Testament. Like the books of Moses, imagine, uh, imagine mugging up books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and all these books. They can actually stand here and recite it out to you. They, that's how much they knew the Old Testament. And yet they missed the point that the entire Old Testament was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, despite all the mugging that they had. Now, I think we Indians... Uh, can relate to this a little better, right? We know a lot about mugging, right? I'm sure whether you're an engineer, doctor, finance guy, marketing guy, we've all mugged our way to wherever we are today, right? That's, that's, the, way, that's the way we are programmed in India. I guess, I don't know whether these guys still mug. <laughs> so, but, but, but that's what mugging does. You kind of know everything right here, but you never think about it. Like how we would all go to the exam hall and just reproduce something. We would never know anything. These guys knew the scriptures by heart, but they didn't know what the scripture was actually pointing to, and it was pointing to Christ. Come down a little in that chapter, come to verse 45. It says, But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. These guys regarded Moses and his books a lot. And he's saying the accuser is not going to be me, it's going to be Moses, whom you treasure so much. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So here the Lord is saying that Moses, Moses, who did he write about? He wrote about me. 
So Jesus was constantly being spo- spoken about by Moses and all the other writers in the Old Testament. It was constantly pointing and pointing and pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure most of us uh, in this room use Google Maps. When we go to a place that we don't know and when we really need to find a way, we kind of put the maps. And what does the map do? It's constantly pointing us to a certain location that we want to go. And the Bible, the Old Testament, was all that. It was constantly pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ right from the beginning. So Jesus did not start his ministry. Jesus did not start his work only in the New Testament. It started right at the beginning. Let's, uh, let's, uh, to understand this a little better, let's look at uh, John chapter 1. A portion that's very familiar to most of us. So John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning, now he's invoking uh, Genesis territory here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, In the beginning was the Word. Now we know that here, Word refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus Christ did not start, start his ministry in the New Testament. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God's expression to mankind. God is spirit, and he expressed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are to understand this a little better, uh, I know we can't draw a picture of God because God is spirit, but say you have a throne, and, and, and you put a speech blurb there, or you put a thought blurb there. That thought blurb or that speech blurb is Jesus Christ. He's the expression of God. So Jesus, So God expresses himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the expression of God. And then when you come down, uh, how do we know that this word that is spoken about is the Lord Jesus Christ? Because in verse 14 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So this is the word, the expression of God, which came into this world and he dwelt in flesh for each one of us. So, so, so that explains why the word that is spoken about in verse 1 is actually speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we come down, you come to verse 17. He says, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. This is the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Lord Jesus Christ. I think Ben spoke about it a little, little while back. The law, all what the law did is, is to establish the standard. Unless the law tells you, unless the rule tells you that something is wrong, then there can be no wrong. So the law established the reason why some things are wrong. But the law also pointed out to each one of us that when we look at that high standard on our own merit, we cannot, we cannot make it. The law just shows us that we are defeated before the law. Before God's holy standards, we are nothing. And then it says, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus Christ, because, because God knew that on our own we cannot make this, grace came to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that today, we have a standing before a holy God because of, of the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the next verse is one of the most interesting verses. It says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. It says, no one has ever seen God. What does that mean? So you might think that, hey, in the Old Testament, uh, didn't God walk in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Didn't God appear to Abraham? Didn't Jacob wrestle with God? 
So many instances in the Old Testament. What is it? What is it? I mean, how does this verse make sense? But the answer is, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. It was the Son who was constantly appearing to make himself known and coming to people in their different situations. So, so now what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few of the most popular stories that we know in the Old Testament, and we're going to see how we find Jesus in those, in those particular portions. And I want us to think about it in three different ways, okay? As we go through the Old Testament, we find Jesus present, which is we find Jesus making an appearance. We find Jesus promised. We find Jesus who is being prophesied. Uh, we find prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third is the most interesting piece. We find Jesus pictured. Okay, We find Jesus present. We find Jesus promised. We find Jesus pictured or patterned in the Old Testament. So let's go to right at the beginning. Let's go to Genesis. Right where the fall happened. So come to Genesis chapter 3. So we know God made man in his own image. He created a perfect world for him, a world which was without sin, and he expected man to really live in fellowship with the Lord. But sin entered the world. It destroyed that relationship. And, 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 and chapter 3 speaks about uh, what happens. So if you come down to verse, uh, verse 14, okay? Um, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. In some of the other translations it says that, and between your seed and her seed, seed with a capital S, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, so here we find the Lord talking to them and basis what we read in John no one has seen God but the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is the Lord who is here in the garden with them. He's, he's present here with them. And he's talking this to them. Okay, And what he says is, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the seed speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I will put enmity, enmity between your seed and her seed, which is, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will one day crush your head and you will strike his heel. And we know, and we know when the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, Satan did everything possible to scuttle God's plan of salvation. Through Herod, he tried to kill all the babies. And, and Satan would have probably thought he achieved victory when Jesus finally gave up his ghost on the cross. Satan thought that he's done. He's, 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 he, he's done for good. But on the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ came out of the grave and rose victorious. And that's how he crushed Satan on his head. Satan was crushed. So while straight, Satan tried to continue to strike his heel to destroy God's plan of salvation, eventually the Savior comes and he crushes the, heel of, uh, crushes the head of Satan. So do you see? Right at the beginning, right at the beginning, the seed is promised. Right at the beginning, the gospel began to play out. Gospel did not happen in Matthew. It happened right after the fall. You can say that ever since, right after the time Adam hit the self-destruct button, you can say that you know, the, the play button of the gospel got activated right at the Garden of Eden. It is not something which, which, which was thought about much later, but it happened 
right at the beginning. So we see Jesus present. We see Jesus promised here. Let's look at, let's look at the picture here. As we come down into this verse, um, now one of the first things that happened when sin entered the world was, uh, what did they both feel? They felt shame, right? They felt ashamed of themselves. They figured out that they were naked. Now if you look at it, this is what sin does to people. Right? What does sin do? Sin makes you feel ashamed. Sin robs you of, of, of all your of all your um, um, of all your standing, and sin kind of makes you feel ashamed. And if you come to verse uh, verse uh, twenty one, it says, "The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them." And earlier on, we find that uh, they uh, what did they do when they felt ashamed? They sewed um, garments made out of fig leaves. Imagine wearing garments of fig leaves. I don't know how that would have felt. But the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them to cover their shame. The Lord God provided a garment of skin. And what do you think had to happen for God to provide a garment of skin? Somebody had to die. An animal had to die. Right? And possibly it was a lamb which had to die. And what did that lamb do? Nothing. But the lamb or whichever animal that was had to get it in its neck. And blood had to be shed to be that sacrifice, to provide the skin which would bring about that covering of shame for Adam and Eve. If you look at it, uh, do you see a beautiful picture emerging? Do you see a picture of what is going to happen maybe over the next 4,000, 5,000 years that's going to happen? This is what our Lord Jesus Christ himself did for us. When he died on the cross, he provided to cover for the shame that was upon us. And today we are wrapped around with his righteousness. And, and his righteousness covers us. And the shame that was brought about by our sin is covered. I hope you are able to see how, how we find in this very first story, uh, we find Jesus being present, we find Jesus being promised through the seed, and we find Jesus being pictured right here at the Garden of Eden. Now, as we move on, now, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, we, we know about Cain and Abel. The story of Cain and Abel happens. The murder happens, Star of Babel, um, Noah, Noah's Ark, the floods, all these things happen. And then a very critical uh, thing in history happens, which is the call of Abraham. One of the most significant moments in the entire Bible where this man called Abraham is called out and, uh, and, and the Lord says that he's going to bless the entire world through Abraham. And Abraham, uh, initially Abraham and his family were in this part of uh, southern Iraq called Ur. And they went up to this place called Haran, which actually borders uh, today's uh, uh, Syria and Turkey. And then they make it to Canaan. Uh, th- th- those of you here with a Middle East connection, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to note that uh, I just, uh, I-, I hope I'm right on this, but I think I'm right. Um, apparently, Ur, Ur was just 100 miles from Kuwait. Yeah, some interesting trivia. Not that it, it impacts us, but Ur was just 100 miles from Kuwait, which is about I think 160 kilometers, the distance of Bangalore to Mysore. Not bad, I thought. So, 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 so Abraham was called out, and then he goes all the way to Haran, and then he eventually um, goes to the Promised Land. 
And Abraham was promised that he's, that the Lord promised that he's going to have descendants and they're going to be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and all these promises were given. But you know what? Abraham and Sarah's biological clock was ticking away. So possibly, I don't know what age they were called, but maybe 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Abraham was like 100 years old and still no signs. No signs of any baby coming. And uh, his wife acts foolish and gets him to sleep with their maid and, uh, and gets an offspring. But the Lord says, that's not the guy I'm going to be a blessing. But you will, have, you will have a child. And then eventually, after a wait of 100 years, Abraham waited 100 years, his wife waited 90 years. They finally have this baby boy which was promised to them, Isaac. Imagine waiting for 100 years and getting a baby. How, how treasured that baby would have been. But then something, uh, something strange happens. If you, come to, if you come to Genesis chapter 22, God actually tests, God actually tests uh, Abraham and tells him to take the son, the son, the one for whom you waited 100 years, take him and sacrifice him on the mountain for me. And uh, I, I remember when I was small, when I read this, you know, I used to think, man, how can God, isn't this child sacrifice? Isn't this God asking you to to sacrifice your child. How unjust can this be? But the Bible in various places condemns child sacrifice. And God is a God whose heart is for the children, for the orphans, for the widows. But this was just a test. It was not really God um, wanting him to be killed as we would see later. Right? So it was, a, it was a test. And here, as we read this, it says, Now sometime later God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, as we read various verses in this particular portion, I just want you to imagine, imagine the picture that is, that is, that is developing. Okay? Um, verse 3, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the, place of, for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So here's the father with his only son going up a mountain to sacrifice his son. Okay? Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He took the wood, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together. Now where is the wood placed? The wood is placed on the back of the only son. The wood is placed on the back of the only son. And he is climbing a mountain. Now uh, we move on. And then we look at uh, verse, verse 9. It says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound the son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You see, the, the wood is placed on the altar and the son, the only son, is bound on the wood and is being prepared for the sacrifice. Do you see any picture emerging here? Yeah, do you see this picture emerging here? Isn't that, I don't know how, how many of us have really read through these portions and, uh, and realized that this was not just an isolated incident. God was all the time creating pictures along the way about the ultimate sacrifice that has to happen eventually. And then 
and then we know what happened right the uh, the 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 son is bound on the wood and he 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 picks up the dagger and the angel tells him to stop and then uh, abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering and and the difference that happens here from what happens in the new testament is here the son did not die he was substituted a substitute happened through a ram which again reflects a picture of what happens to us right he provided that ultimate substitute for us we were supposed to die but god provided for us through our lord jesus christ so we find jesus present we find jesus pictured now interestingly let's look at how jesus is promised here okay and this i found to be really fascinating if you come to verse 14 it says so abraham called that place the lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the lord it will be provided now you know what um if if this had happened to me um the ram is provided for i would name the place I, i would name the place the lord has provided right because he has provided he provided i finished the sacrifice i would name it he has provided but here abraham says on this mountain the lord will provide and you know what about uh, 2000 years later what happened on this mountain if you read second chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1 can can somebody uh, read second chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1 on mount moriah where this particular thing happens on this mountain solomon's temple happened and on that mountain sacrifices were offered by the people of israel for their sins and guess what happens after another 2000 years most bible scholars believe that it is around this range of mount moriah that the city of jerusalem came up and jesus was born and eventually jesus gave up his life on this mountain so do you see what abraham is saying abraham says and on this on the mountain of the lord it will be provided he says on this mountain the lord will provide do you see a prophecy emerging do you see a promise emerging yeah one of the most beautiful stories in all of the bible and in this story we find jesus being present we find jesus being promised and we find jesus being pictured that's how beautiful the old testament is it is not stories it is not a collection of stories but if you if you go through it the underlying storyline is the storyline of the gospel and is the storyline of our great lord and savior jesus christ now we 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 kind of move on a bit uh, in the interest of time we'll just take a look at two other popular stories stories that we've all learned and we will see how these principles apply there Now after Abraham uh, we know uh, uh, he has his he has Isaac Isaac has two sons uh, Esau and Jacob we know about uh, the 13 kids that the Jacob had 12 sons the tribes emerge they go to Egypt they are held in bondage uh, in Egypt and um, and 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 the Lord decides to rescue them he heard the cries of his people and he and he and he, and, and, and he charts out a rescue plan now if you come to Exodus chapter 12 yeah 
Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. Now we all know that nine plagues happened and finally it comes to the tenth plague. Now in the tenth plague, uh, God decides to strike the firstborn of the Egyptian households. And an and, and angel of the Lord is coming to make this ultimate strike. He's going to strike down. The, uh, he's going to execute judgment upon the household of the Egyptians. And as he comes, he gives, he gives, he gives, he institutes what is known as the Passover. And if you come to verse, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, The animal you choose must be a year old male without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So it must be a year old, it must be a male, and it must be without defect. Now we know that male without defect um, even in other parts of the Bible, it actually reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come down to verse 7, it says, They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamp. Come down further. Verse 12, it says, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, because I am the Lord. Come down to verse 22, it says, When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame, and he will pass over the doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Look at the Passover. Again, something which we have all grown up reading and studying. Now, the, pa- the, the picture of the Passover is very clear because in the New Testament, Paul himself writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, He was our Passover lamb. And what happens in the Passover? Here is God coming to execute judgment. But while he is coming to execute judgment, a lamb had to be slain. Blood had to be shed. Right? Uh, uh, an innocent life had to be shed for you and I to live. And when, and, when, and when these people put the blood on their door frames and on the lintel, which is the thing at the top, and when the angel of death passes by, he sees that and he does not enter. He just passes over. If you look at it, isn't this the picture of what happens to us? Isn't this the picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did? Right? None of us by our own merit really deserve to get saved. When the angel of death comes our way, we are all destined to die. The only certainty that we have in this world is that you and I will die one day. We can get out of the meeting today, a car can knock us down, we can all die. But the fact is, why are we saved? Why do we have this hope? Because on that ultimate day, when the angel of death happens to us, comes to us, right? we are covered with the blood of the Lamb. We are covered with the blood of the righteous Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because we are wrapped around in his blood, and because his righteousness is upon us, the angel of death passes over. And we stand to have eternal life. Do you see a picture emerging? In this portion, we find picture and we find the Lord talking to Moses. We find Jesus present and we find Jesus being pictured. Now we'll just take a look at uh, one, of the last, uh, one of the last stories that I want to bring to your attention today. Um, and, uh, and we know the most famous uh, verse in the Bible, which is the verse which all of us teach our kids after they're born. Sorry? John 3.16, right? Okay. John 3.16, for God so loved the world and so on. I don't know how many of us really realize the... Uh, okay, who is Jesus talking to here? Nicodemus, right? That's very clear. Now, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, uh, if you come, to turn in your Bibles to John 
and we'll look at a few verses uh, before that. Yeah, okay, if you come to John 3.16, um, and, and, and two verses before that, uh, where verse 13, it says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And it says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And this is, what, this is actually the context, right? And then he says, then John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, if you just uh, go back, uh, come to Numbers chapter 21. That's where we see the story. Come to Numbers chapter 21. Okay, so now if you come to Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4, it says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea uh, to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. And the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They hid the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now it's, uh, it's um, I mean, these were people that, uh, you know, who have seen God in action and yet they would rebel, they, were, they, would, they would do all kinds of crazy things and get God really mad at them, right? And finally, God again loses it with these guys and he sends snake into their midst. Imagine, full of snakes, suddenly the snakes are biting, people are dying. Imagine in this room now, suddenly snakes prop up everywhere, right? I would possibly jump on the table, you all would stand on the chairs because there's all snakes all over and people are dying, it's, it's, it's chaos. And the people uh, cry out to Moses and then he cries out to God. And what God says is a very simple solution, a solution which, which he didn't ask them to take the latest anti-venom, anti-venom uh, injection, none of that, right? What he said is, make a snake, put it up on a pole, anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. That was, it was as simple as that. You put up a snake on a pole and you look at it and you will be saved. Now, if you, if you, if you carefully read this text... Looking at this pole is not preventive. It does not say that you look at that pole and you will not get bitten. It says after you're bitten, you look at that snake and you will live. And Jesus is talking about himself as, as, as he says, this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must I be lifted up. Now, if you look at it, the venom, venom is the curse. The curse is already in us. We are already bitten. We are already sinful. We are already in sin. And I found this really strange that Jesus is comparing himself to a snake. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus and a snake. But that's what it is, right? The, the snake and the venom was cursed from God. And, what does God and, and, and who was Jesus? What did Jesus do on the cross? He became that curse for us. And it's the beautiful picture that emerges. Right? The wrath of God is on the people for the sin of ingratitude and murmuring and rebellion. But God chooses to rescue his people 
with this simple plan right he 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 asked people to look at that snake on a pole and all, and, and and you know when you look at that snake on the pole you need to look at it in faith that's what that's what god is expecting people to do you look at it in faith because god has instituted it and he is ex- expecting people to look at it in faith and if you're bitten you look at it in faith and you will live and god will honor your faith and that's exactly what jesus is talking about in verses 3 and uh, verses 14 and 15 in john chapter 3 as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up so folks i just want to ask you today if you're here today and if you're really wondering all that happens here on every sunday morning we come here break the bread partake of the cup i just want us to understand that that you and i were born into this world with a curse we are born in sin none of us need to be taught how to sin but it's there in us it's there in our nature to be sinful we all need to be taught how to do good but none of us need to be taught how to do anything wrong because right from childhood you will pick up the wrong things because the sin is in us the curse is in us we are all destined to die and all through the bible one principle is very clear that a sinner has to die and if you need to live another innocent blood had to be shed and in the old testament we repeatedly find an animal being the substitute but in the fullness of time the lord jesus christ came and he hung on the cross to be that sacrifice that ultimate sacrifice and all you need to do is to look at the cross all you need to do is to look at the cross look at the lord jesus christ he has paid your penalty in full as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up and he was lifted up and he not only died but he rose again as well on the third day and in this portion again we see the lord present we see the lord pictured and as you read through other stories in the bible please look at it in these three ways look for jesus present look for jesus promised look for jesus pictured or patterned if 80% of the bible i think it's about 80% of the bible is the old testament there's a very good reason why it is there and the old testament is nothing but the story of jesus panning out through the generation it's incredible if you actually read through the old testament um and if you understand the the the, the underlying storyline which happens how god chooses israel how how god chooses abraham how god chooses israel how he maintains the line of judah and through that eventually jesus comes into this world for the ultimate rescue plan so that's mostly uh what i wanted to say today um as we as we uh, end here today um i just wanted to think about a few things now you know in marketing when we do a campaign there's something called a cta a call to action call to action is nothing but um it could be it could be an ad that you see a number that you have to call a a a, a link that you have to click it's some action that you have to take so here are my few ctas for you this morning time read through the old testament and read through the old testament passionately look for jesus in the old testament look for jesus present look for jesus promise look for jesus pictured in this church we have a lot of uh, kids with old testament names right we have isaiah and what jeremiah uh, yeah yeah I, so many <laughs> so jesaya and uh, um um ezra and uh, so many so many so many of them right let's these names are nice let's read through the books 
in a systematic manner, uh, which actually speak about all these wonderful characters in the Bible. So let's make it a desire to really study the Old Testament. The other uh, call to action that I have for you is, it will be very interesting for you to really understand the chronology of the Old Testament, how the entire Old Testament pans out. Now, the way our Bibles are arranged today doesn't help because they are arranged by genres and not chronologically. But if you really have a desire to understand the Old Testament and its chronology, here is my offer for you. Right? If anybody is interested, let us know. We can spend about 30 to 40 minutes, take a white paper, we can write down how the, major, how the major incidents pan out, which books address what situation, which prophecy fits in where. It will take just about 45 minutes. That will really give you a good picture of how the Old Testament pans out. It's like solving a jigsaw puzzle. We have a Tintin's jigsaw puzzle at home. Now, if you, get, if you have a 100-piece jigsaw puzzle and if you don't have a reference picture, it's very difficult to put these pieces together, right? So in our, in our jigsaw puzzle, we have Tintin's nose and Captain Haddock's beard and, you know, there are various pieces. But if you don't have that reference picture, it's very difficult to piece this together. So what this overview will help you do is to take the various pieces that you already know and kind of piece it together so that a clear picture emerges of the Old Testament. So if anybody is interested, please let us know. We'll work with you to, to ensure that uh, that, uh, that is done, okay? And then that will really help you understand the Old Testament a little better. The other thing that uh, I would really uh, like you to consider is um, to understand the Bible a little better. Uh, I don't know how many of you were good with uh, history and geography and all in school. It must have been the most boring topics for you. It was, I, I, those are the only two topics I was good at <laughs> in school. So, but if you, it will be really good for you to cultivate an interest in general history. Try to understand a bit about the historical characters in the Bible. Try to understand a bit of the geography. I think John in his classes have shown us all those maps and the geography. It's actually really interesting. It makes the Bible really come alive. So it may not be in our nature to... to to take a liking for history and geography because the very city that we live in is a tech city. Most of us are working in tech companies. We are so hard, hardwired in our heads. But it will be good to cultivate this interest, uh, uh, to you know, you know, you know, try to develop an un uh, understanding of the people group and the culture and all these things. It will really help you to understand the Bible a lot better. More knowledge of C plus and Java won't really help in understanding the Bible, but what would really help you in understanding the Bible is, uh, is a liking towards the culture of those times. And most importantly, just remember, Jesus is not like taking a football analogy. Sorry, those who don't follow football or the sisters. In football, there's a term called the super sub. Super sub is a substitute who comes towards the last 10 minutes of the game scores a goal and wins the match for the team, having nothing to do with what happened in the first part of the proceedings, right? Jesus is not like that. He had everything to do with the match right from the beginning. He was not a super sub who came later and scored a goal and won the day for us. That's not what Jesus is. The whole of the Old Testament is a pointer towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and the other thing is, as you reflect back, as you reflect into, into the Old Testament, I was just amazed. Isn't a God really creative? He didn't give us a book of do's and don'ts and don't look there and don't look here. It's not a book like that. Right? 
He created this perfect plan of the gospel right from the Garden of Eden. And as the story unfolded, he was making appearances. He was creating shadows. He was creating pictures. He was giving promises all along the way. And eventually it resulted in Jesus coming. It's a very interesting book. So please, please spend time and effort to understand the Old Testament and your understanding of the gospel will immensely increase. And as you read through this, and as, as, as you really understand God's way of salvation, you will notice that all this fuzziness and the haziness begins to disappear, and a clearer view of the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ will begin to emerge in your minds. That's all I have to say, folks. And uh, I, hope, uh, I hope you will really look at the Old Testament in a different light. Like I said, this might have been very basic to many of you, but uh, it was not for me. And it really helped me in my understanding of the Old Testament and in my understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So please uh, do your study of the Old Testament and enjoy it. And uh, if you need any help, let any of us know and we'll be more than happy to help. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, we thank you for this time that you gave us. Lord, we want to thank you for the time of worship that you gave us where we were able to look at what you did for us on the cross of Calvary, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for this great privilege that you've given to us, Lord, to be called your children. And Father, as we went through your word and as we looked at various instances in the Bible, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for revealing your plan of salvation to us right through history, Father. Lord Jesus, when we look at how the work of salvation panned out. Lord, we are so amazed, Lord, with the kind of God that you are. A God who works through history, Lord. The God who brings up people right through history to ensure that, that, that our Lord Jesus Christ will come one day and die on the cross and be that ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we are so thankful to you, Lord. We pray that we as a church, you would give us grace, you would give us more opportunities, you would give us further, you would further our interest in studying your word, including the Old Testament, Lord. And we pray that as our appreciation for you and your work increases, we pray that it would transform our lives and it would convict us to share the gospel to many more people, Father. Once again, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for having been with us, Father. In Jesus Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen.